So glad you're here. Turn your Bibles. We are in the book of James, James chapter 4, but also flip back to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 27. The two books very similar. Both are books geared towards wisdom, finding the right path to walk in. Proverbs 27 verse 12, it says, the wise see danger ahead and do what? Yeah, avoid the danger, but a fool keeps going and gets into trouble. I want to illustrate this uh, picture we saw. Not quite sure what hurricane this is, but the people have been told to leave the city. Leave the, the, the uh, ocean wall is going to be breached. Get out of town. Water is going to be everywhere. And, of course, one person is coming back because he forgot his mask. Now, how many know, mass may be important, but uh, how many know, that's a foolish man heading back into the hurricane. People do it all the time. They say they're going to stay and they're going to have a hurricane party. They're going to ride it out. And that's what a person did in, in Katrina. They, uh, they couldn't get out. The water breached the, the floodplain. And they, now they ride on the top of their house. Please help us, people, dog, and a cat. So how many know what we want to do in life is make the right decisions, we want to make wise decisions, and the way you make the right decision is making a decision based on God's Word. The Bible is not just history, though it is a historical document. The Bible literally is God's Word to us that tells us how to have a better marriage, how to function on the job, how to treat our children, how to treat our enemies, those that we don't like today. It is a message that's vastly missing in America today, or we wouldn't be having the rioting we're having on our streets. But uh, I want to, last week, we, uh, we touched on something that has great, great bearing on us. Uh, last week, uh, the scriptures in James talked about envy and selfish ambition, coveting, worldliness, all things that work to cause relationships to be under pressure, relationships to be under struggles. Uh, how many know if, for example, uh, a cute little couple is married and uh, uh, the guy's at his capacity, he's making $50,000 a year. The only problem is his wife wants to be like her sister and her hubby makes 150000 a year. And she keeps needling him, impressing her husband. Well, guess what that is? That's selfish ambition in her heart and she will destroy her marriage. So these are destructive things that we learned about last week. And let's pick up where we left off. James chapter 4 verse 6 in context of all the struggles of our soul. I mean, we all have, you know, uh, envy. We all would covet on occasions. The Bible says God gives us more grace. That's an interesting thing for God to say. In the midst of the, our brokenness, God says, look, I'm not only going to forgive you, but I'm going to help you fix what's broken. I'm going to help you become a better person. You're going to find my strength, my wisdom, my power available to you. And then he says this, he says, God resists the proud or opposes the proud. The proud person is someone who's looking to themselves. They're the source of their world. They take credit for everything. But God gives favor to the humble. And the humble is the person who, is the person who recognizes that, that all we have and all we are and all we can do is because of the goodness of our God. Well, we're going to pick up right there today. And what you're going to find today is we're going to make a sandwich in about seven verses. He left off last week with the word humility, and he's going to continue in the same pattern today, and he's going to again mention humility. But today, and if you take notes, this is worth writing down, that if we will turn to God first, he'll help fix our conflicts with people. 
In other words, if, if I've got a problem with you, if I'm not getting along with you, I probably have a God problem as well. And if I will deal with my God problems first, then my relationships with people will tend to get better. Uh, there may be place for anger management classes, but I'll tell you, friend, if we will first pursue God's ways, if we will first get ourselves and rightly related to God, we're going to turn around and get along with other folks. Well, here's the question. If I'm supposed to turn to God first, how do I do it? Well, I'm glad you asked because now James is going to tell us how. I want you to listen for these six things. We're only going to look at about four or five verses today. We're going to come back and visit all of these. But James is saying this is how you get on target with God. James 4 verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now, this is all coherent. This is not isolated thoughts. He says, come near to God and God will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, talking Christians. Purify your hearts, you're double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Interesting. It's because of the sin in your life. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. And here's the sandwich. Humble yourselves before the Lord and what will he do? He'll lift you up. So James is basically saying the way to deal with conflicts we're having with each other is to first get rightly related to God. And those six things are what we're going to look at. Submitting to God, resisting the devil, coming near to God, washing our hands because of our evil, grieving, mourning, and wailing. That would be very interesting. And lastly, humbling ourselves. Uh, if there's something that's today that, that kind of congeals the thought of the whole message, it's this. When we get right with God, we'll get right with people. Most of the conflicts we have with people are symptomatic of a conflict with God. It is something in our soul that's broken. It is in some way we're out of sync with God. And James is going to tell us how to get right not only with the folks, but with the God himself at the same time. We're going to kind of look at three big areas. We're going to take these six points and we're going to look at it first and foremost is our commitment to God. Uh, secondly, part of that, our cleansing ourselves of sin and lastly, we're going to explore what this means, a contrition or, or a deep sorrow for our sin. So let's explore it, and I think it's going to help you a lot today. We're going to begin with this broad uh, covering, a deeper commitment to God. And here's the first one. James says, submit to God. And that's interesting. The first thing that he would say, if you want to fix what's broken in your relationships with people... Submit yourselves to God. It's the starting place for real change. And this word submit is a military term. How many have been in the military? Wave your hand at me here. Yeah, some of us. Well, how many know, let's say if you're on a, if you're on a, a ship, an aircraft carrier, and the captain says uh, all hands on deck, how many know you don't keep reading the magazine? <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> you'll find yourself in the brig. In the military, there's this rigid sense of you just do what the person over you says to do, period. No questions asked. Well, they are submitting, but how I many we don't submit to God that way? God's a father. But you know what? We still recognize him as God, and we choose as the Christian to yield our will to him because how I many know God has uh, 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 the best for us in mind? But the great challenge is, uh, will I yield my will to God? See, submission is the call to stop resisting God in anything. And you know what? How many know we do it often? 
How many know, let's say if we're struggling with laziness and sleeping in, and we read in the Bible, you know, that talks about too much slumber leads to poverty. Well, how many know your struggle in getting out of bed is not just your own flesh, it's a God struggle. And to submit to God is to set that alarm and come on, roll on out of bed. So this is very practical, it's not ethereal, but the challenge is whose will is going to win? Am I going to yield my will to God or am I going to demand my own way? Let me know when your will is yielded to God, you do what Ephesians says, and you love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, let me know that's easy when everything's going along and she's got these googly eyes let you and everything, but let me know sometimes it's a little tension in the home. And everybody said, not very often, but sometimes, even for good Christian people, well, how many know that's the time to submit to God and yield uh, and, and, and uh, love your wife. That's the time, wife, to honor your husband, to recognize his God-given role in your life. Uh, how about loving our enemies? Man, I tell you what, violence has become an accepted way of life in America today. It's, it's shocking. It can be fearful and scary. But how many know Jesus told us to love our enemies? Doesn't mean you can't defend yourself. I took Cromagall a couple years. I believe in concealed carry, but I'm not looking for a fight. I'm looking to love my enemy, and I'm looking to get my enemy saved. Well, all this has to do with our will and yielding to what the Lord says to us. You see, it's not only making Jesus Savior, but making Him what? Yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a starting place, and this is what James says. Um, Jesus echoed this as well. You know, I, I fear one of the great problems in modern-day Christianity is we offer a Christ without a cross. We don't deny that Jesus died on the cross, but we don't see any bearing of that in our own life. It's almost like just add Jesus to your life and you'll have a better life. Bring Jesus in your life, you'll be happier. Bring Jesus in your life, you'll be wealthier, and on and on and on. But there's something about following Christ that demands submission. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said these words. Jesus said, if any of you, uh, uh, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must Ooh, give up your own way. One translation says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And you say, well, gosh, God must be mean. No, God just wants what's best for us. And how many know we sometimes fight against God? You know, our will is a powerful little thing. I learned this recently with my two grandkids. We made the mistake of buying one chocolate milkshake with two straws. I think some of you might have heard this story, but I'll tell you what, we saw the will of the one-year-old and the will of the three-year-old because it was their milkshake. We started out with the three-year-old, and he's heartily, you know, enjoying his shake. The one-year-old had no clue what was going on until that time when we took it from the three-year-old, and he said, no, but we gave it to his brother. And his brother, that sugar and that chocolate going in that little one-year-old's mouth. And he, he had it down and he was bringing it in. And then it was time to share with Bubba. When we took that milkshake, I have never heard such a wild scream in all my days. He was not screaming because he was hurt. He was screaming because it's mine. And I want it. And we learned our lesson. Next time they got shakes for those kids, how I many know we got two milkshakes? And there's peace in the valley, but how many know there's still a problem in the heart? Well, this is what we're talking about. But you know what? If I'll submit myself to God, coveting, selfish ambition, worldliness, 
They're going to have less control over me. And when that happens, guess what? Then my relationship's going to get better with my spouse, my kids, the people I work with, the cheerleader squad, whoever I'm involved in. When I'm closely connected to God, come on, everything's going to get better in my world. Give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now let's look at this next one. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now this, these, these are not disjointed thoughts. These form a coherent um, pattern of how to deal with the junk in our life. Because in this case, we resist the devil. It's not a spiritual attack from without. How many know the Bible teaches that the devil does attack us? You look at Job. I don't know how Satan did it, but somehow Satan gave Job boils. And it was so painful, he wanted to die. Now, today, we'd simply go, they'd look under the microscope, they'd take a sample, they'd prescribe an antibiotic or whatever the case would be. But in Job's day, somehow Satan did that. Well, this is not an attack from the outside. This is Satan's work on the inside of our life. It's things like our temptation, our passions, our desires. Um, uh, and and this, is, this is worth noting or writing down. We know Satan is present when we recognize the evil inside us. Now, I don't mean Satan is possessing us, but somehow... Satan plants seeds in our lives. Those seeds can be transferred along family lines. Perhaps your family has a history of violence and children learn it early on. Uh, it could be um, uh, uh, addiction is running in the family line. And, and it just, it's something that can go along. But somehow Satan starts it with a seed. Yesterday I was in my garden, uh, last couple days, I, I gave a hint to my wife several times to pull the weeds. And it went over her head, I guess. How many have ever pulled weeds in the garden? Let me see your hand. A garden or flower garden? Oh, it's a task, isn't it? My grandmother, I went out to my, my, my vegetable garden, and uh, I saw this sticker weed that was about this tall. Now, I don't know what its technical term is, but when I was a boy, that's what we called it. it. It had like little splinters, like a cactus on it, but the most dangerous part of it was not the splinter. It was the seeds that were growing on top. Because if I left that thing there long enough, it was going to go to seed and my grandmother would say, one year seeding, seven years weeding. In other words, that one little evil plant was going to produce, you know, a thousand little offspring that were going to keep, keep coming up. Well, I want to suggest to you that evil is in our hearts like that. And we have to tend the garden of our soul. Now, Satan can, well, let me just justify what I said when I said Satan can be behind this. James 3 verse 14, this is last week. If you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, he goes on to say, uh, this is not God's wisdom. Such things are demonic. Everybody say it. Demonic. So somehow Satan fosters jealousy and, and ambition in our heart. Now, what James said to do is James says to resist the devil. Resist means take a stand against him. But here's the question. How do I resist my inner struggles? If I'm struggling, for example, with envy or worldliness or selfish ambition, how do I resist that? I want to go to a passage where Jesus fought these very things. It's called the 40-day temptation. It's Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. I don't know how he did this. But somehow in a moment of time, it's like a... A, a, a flash, it's like a, a movie reel. 
and Jesus saw the great places of wealth in the world. He saw the places of power. He saw luxury. And Satan said this to him, I want you to have all this. Now, can you see how that could appeal to envy? Jesus was born as a poor carpenter. Can you see how that might appeal to selfish ambition? He didn't have it, and this is an easy way to get it. But now, here's what I want you to see. The devil said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. In other words, I'll let you yield to your envy. I'll let you yield to your selfish ambition, and I'll make it worth your while for a little while. But notice what Jesus did. Jesus said what? Go away from me, Satan. Now, you probably don't want to say that in the office. I mean, if, you know, if, if there's a cutie that walks down the hallway and a little lust stirs in your heart, you probably don't want to say, get away from me, Satan. They'll probably be calling security, okay? But you know what? It's not bad when you're alone to go ahead and say it out loud. If you're having a little pity party and you're mad because, you know, your sister-in-law's got this brand new, you know, uh, Escalade and you're still driving the, you know, the little humble Chevy, uh, it's not bad to say, Envy, just leave me alone. I know you're not of God. That's the way Satan thinks. And I'm not going, and what you're doing is is you're saying, this is not a friend, it's an enemy. That was the starting place. Jesus recognized Satan's offer, and then Jesus said this, It is written in the Scriptures. You must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. That happened three times to Jesus, and each time Jesus responded with the Bible verse. Doesn't it make sense that maybe when we're fighting something that's spiritual in us, like envy, ambition, pride, that when we respond to it with the Word of God, there's some power that's at work there? Didn't the Bible say in Ephesians chapter 6 that the Bible, the Word of God, is the sword of the Spirit? See, and it's got spiritual, it's got spiritual power to it. Let's keep moving here. The third one, uh, not only resist the devil or resist these inner things, but come near to God. And I would say this to you. This is probably one of the most profound promises in all of the Bible. Come near to God, and what will happen? God would come near to me. That doesn't mean that I would see him. That doesn't mean that I get in my tran- a trance and, you know, fold my legs and do my fingers like that and I'm going to have little impressions in my head. Uh, you're more likely to see the devil than the Lord. But what it does mean is the awareness of God in my life will be more real than it's ever been before. He won't be the man upstairs, but he'll be a friend that's closer than a brother. He'll be my father. He'll be Abba to me. Um, and, and here's something that's true. When we get closer to God, we're going to treat people better. When I'm where I need to be with the Lord, I'm much easier to get along with. I saw something yesterday. A friend of mine uh, recommended a new conservative news site. One of the ones I was on had just kind of shifted the other way. And I, was, and I saw a video that I've not seen anywhere else. I, 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 I read a lot. I want to stay current of what's going on. But I also realize that we're biased by the sources we read. And I want to read on both sides of the perspective. I want the conservative, but I want the liberal as well. I don't, I don't want to be led by anyone. Well, anyway, I was watching this video, and uh, it was of a policeman somewhere on the East Coast, I think New York. It was an African-American policeman, and it was an African-American driving the car. You know, we're told today all the problems in America are black, and, are black against white and white against black. That is such a lie. 
The problems in America are, are from the sinful heart of man. They're this evil that we're talking about. Come on now. Satan is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what we're seeing on the streets of our city. Well, anyway, this guy parks his car by a fire hydrant, and the policeman comes up and writes him a ticket because it's a dangerous thing. That guy got out of the car. He didn't have a knife or a gun, but he was about 6'4", and he just went to railing on this policeman. I mean railing on him. And then there was another policeman that got out, and all there are three fighting, and this one guy, he's just winning. And he's got three women that are with him. And they're going after him, begging him to stop. And as I look, I was kind of shocked when it was over, thinking about the utter disregard for authority in America. And this thought came to me. That man wouldn't be acting in such a way if he'd spent time with God that morning. That man would not be acting that way if he had spent time in church. Come on now, the weekend before. Because when we're genuinely after God, he changes us on the inside. And, 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 and that's missing in our solution to America's problems today. I thought about the violence in his life. I thought about those poor women that lived with him. If they were his girlfriends or they all lived with him, can you imagine the violence at home? If I go that crazy on a policeman, how violent might I act with my spouse that's dependent on me? Are you with me today? Well, what's the problem? The root of this thing is a God problem. And if we come near to God, he'll come near to us. Well, the question is... How do I get closer to God? Now, I want to help you with this. I want to tell you a th- couple basic things, but they're foundational. The first, and I think the most important, is that we spend a daily time with God every day. For me, I do it in the morning. If I try to have my God time at night, <laughs> it's too late. I'm tired. But if, when I get out of the morning, somewhere between the bathroom and starting my day, I'm opening my Bible and I'm reading. We've got an app you can download. Search Church on the Rock, Texarkana. It's an Old and New Testament. If you can't read both chapters, read the New Testament. I read it every day. I spend time with God. I pray. I've got some worship music going on. I've been a Christian 40 years. Thankfully, I have never backslidden or turned away from God. And the only thing I can credit that to to is not me, but because I spend time with God every day. I stay connected. I don't let myself pull away. The second thing that's vital is weekly worship at church. I am thrilled that those of you that are watching online are watching today, and it is a great experience, but it's not the same. I remember when COVID first started and we weren't gathering as a church, I'd record the service on Friday, and then on Sunday, uh, I'd still be kind of in my pajamas, sitting on the couch or laying in the hammock, and if I wanted to run, get some more cereal or something like that, I'd say, wait just a second, worship leader, and maybe put him on hold or maybe not, and I'd you know, go put another waffle on or whatever. It's just different. It's something about, like this morning, didn't worship just capture your heart. Man, this is our third service, and I don't know why they're different, but sometimes they're just something special about worship. Listen, as good as home is, you can't experience that. Uh, It's a great alternative, but it's it's different. Time, weekly worship at church, and, and here's the third one. We need to remove barriers in our relationship with God. What do I mean by that? God is not hiding And you don't have to climb the mountain to find God. It's kind of like going downhill. How many know it's easier to go downhill than uphill? Well, you can be going downhill and you can face a barrier. For example, let's say pornography has a grip in your soul. It's everywhere. 
You don't have to be looking for it and it finds you. And when pornography gets in there, it affects my relationship with God. Every time I indulge in it, I feel guilt, I feel shame, I feel condemnation. And after a while, I'd even ask God to forgive me because my heart hardens towards God. It's not just pornography. There can be all sorts of barriers where we've not submitted to God and this sin makes a foothold in our life. And the last thing I'd say is simply just practice saying yes to God instead of no. Practice saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Practice saying yes to the Bible verses. I promise you, friends, when you do it, you're finding that your relationship with God is becoming closer and closer and closer. God's getting more real. Come on. And you're being a better husband, a better mom, a better cheerleader, uh, whatever you're doing with people. How many know it gets better because you've connected with God? Give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let's keep going now. Uh, now he shifts a little bit, and, and we're going to call this next section cleansing ourselves of sin. Now, let me make a statement as I look to the cross. There's only one place and only one way that our sins can be forgiven. It is through what Jesus did on the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's only one way that I can find righteousness, and it's not in good works. It's a theological term called imputed righteousness. When I come to Christ and receive his forgiveness, God declares me righteous. Okay, But having said that, God wants our behavior to align with this right standing in Christ. Listen to what he said now, and he's talking to Christians. He says, wash your hands, you sinner. sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, wash your hands. These are the acts that you do. What are you doing? Purify your hearts. These are your attitudes. So uh, there needs to be this cleansing that's a part of our lives. And James is basically saying, this, listen, as we cleanse ourselves from sin, we get closer to God. And as we get closer to God, our relationships with people improve. But maybe we can go a little further than the hands. He said, wash your hands, you sinners. Hands are a part of the body that need to be cleansed. But what if we said, wash your eyes from pornography? What if we said, wash your mouth from hurtful words. Wash your fists from violence. Wash your ears from listening to gossip or dirty jokes. Wash your lips from the kiss of an affair. What is, these are, how many know our body allows us to participate, but how many know when we cross the line, it's like we're pushing God further away? And James is saying, look, God will forgive you. But we need to follow up and do our part. It's not enough to clean our outer actions. Jesus wants us to cleanse our hearts. i got to tell you, this is the hard one for me. I've been around long enough that I know how to keep my outer world in order. But how many know your inner world can be going crazy? I don't know what happened with Jerry Falwell Jr.'s family. With he and his wife. But they're destroying their life. And they're destroying all they've built. I read this week that someone said he's given him what he, his life's, he's walked away from his life's work because he didn't cleanse his hands and heart. 
Matthew 5, 27. Listen to what Jesus said. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks on a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And this is where, particularly if you walk with the Lord for any length of time, this is where the battle is. It's inside. Because we still have a flesh, we still have a carnal side to us, and, 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 and it's real. But let me tell you this, friend. If we'll keep working on it, our lives will be better. You'll have less guilt. You'll have less shame. You'll have the smile, and you'll have the favor of God. How many know it's always worth it to give God our first and best? Now, come on, give him a good hand today. Yeah. It's a little tough today, but it's, it, it, it's real. Uh, somebody says it's tight, but it's right. All right, here we go. Let's keep going. I, I want to talk about a word. Uh, it's not a biblical word, but it's a biblical concept called contrition. Contrition is a deep sorrow for sin. You remember that part? And this is, when as I prepared this, this was the, mo the most, I don't know, awkward part of the message for me. He says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? This word contrition, another similar word, penitence, it means a deep sorrow for sin because we've offended a holy God. A deep sorrow for sin. And it's accompanied by a sincere resolution that I want to repent, that I want to live in obedience to God's word. When this hits us, everything changes about our life. James 4, 9 from the, uh, the uh, uh, Living Translation says, Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. i got to be honest with you. I don't feel that often when I sin. It's been making me this week look into my soul and ask myself, maybe something's wrong. You see, James was writing to people who were deceived about their true spiritual condition. What they believed about themselves and their relationship with God was the opposite of the truth. They were laughing about their life and what they were doing when they should have been crying. This is not unique or unusual to James. Listen to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea. Now listen to this. Believers, he says, you say that I am rich. Then what? I have everything I want. Now, wow, how many would like to say that? I've got everything I want. See, the problem wasn't the things, though. The problem was the heart. They said, I don't need a thing. But Jesus said, you don't realize. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, blind, and naked. So what is he saying in all this? He's saying sin should bother us deeply. I... I, I let me tell you why I think it doesn't. Um, you've heard the word to being desensitized. I think our culture and our media has desensitized us to any shame over sin. I, I, I still like to watch some of the older TV shows. They tend to be a little less complicated and the themes are a little more, more biblical. But uh, I watch this old Andy Griffith show. And... Uh, they're, ha they're at a carnival in Mayberry, and there was this exotic dancer that came, you know, to dance on stage. And Floyd the barber went to see her five times. Well, when I watched it, 
<laughs> she was not a good dancer and she was not exotic. But think about it today. Think about if Andy Griffith or whatever comparable show today were made and think about morality and how it would be conveyed to us. And we get used to it. Listen, I'm just like you. I enjoy television. I enjoy movies. I'm watching, the other day I was watching a movie and uh, it had one sex scene in it. And the remote was a little too far away and I didn't know it was coming. And I got about two seconds of it and I wish I hadn't got the two seconds. Not because it's going to send me to hell, but because it starts something in me. Come on. That I don't want to set in motion. Because I know the more I click on the image, the harder it's going to be to back off. The more I give place to this. See, and then what happens is we're not bothered by it. So somehow we, have, 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 we live in a world where things that should cause us to weep we just changed the channel. Now let me give you a little contrast. Again, this point is about weeping, mourning over sin. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 37, it, Jesus is on the scene here and they're having dinner. He's at somebody's house and he's laying on a couch. That's the way they would eat. And, and So his dirty sandaled feet are on the edge of the couch. And notice what it says. An immoral woman came in and she knelt behind Jesus at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them with her hair. Now, ladies, think about the attention you give your hair. The last, listen, let's, uh, let's say you got beautiful long hair. And, I don't know, let's say your kid, you know, or, or somebody in the cafe spilled their coffee. Well, you wouldn't take your hair and do that. No, you get a dirty rag. But yet Jesus has been walking in the dirt and the mud and the, 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 you know, animals go to the bathroom. And, and this woman is there kissing his feet, putting perfume on them. Why? Jesus tells us, Jesus said, her sins, they are many, have been forgiven. And she has shown me much love. But the person who's been forgiven little shows only little love. That's missing from my life. I can remember a few times in my life where that happens, but not real often. And I would say this to you. If you ever find yourself in a season of life where the Holy Spirit's coming on you, not to shame you and beat you up. I mean, no, God is a loving God. God wants to help us to get over the trash just like we want our kids to get over the trash. I mean, if your kids are out, you know, partying and if they're doing meth and, you know, you don't even know if they're coming home, how many know when they get their lives clean, <laughs> you're happy that they're there? You know, you're not, you don't want to throw them away. You, you, you love those kids. But when we come to God like that, he, He's the same way. He loves us. But she had this great conviction. And if conviction ever comes on you wherever you are, stop and let it happen. If you're in church and you feel a sorrow for sin, Listen, just slip down on your knees by that chair and let tears begin to flow. If you're worshiping, just, just close your eyes so you don't see anybody and just let it just begin to flow. Are you with me today? This is a precious time when God breaks through the hardness of our heart. But here's my problem. I don't know how to make myself feel that way. And all the commentaries I read, they didn't tell me how to do it either. And I've been meditating this week, and I, I want to suggest something to you that might help. 
be still before God a little bit. My life usually goes 90 to nothing. And even my prayer time goes 90 to nothing. I, I, I go with 1 John 1, 9, confess my sin. He's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, forgive me for this, forgive me for that. And thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Just be still. And maybe not even say anything. But just be still to God. The Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. And it's at that point, then maybe we start allowing the Holy Spirit to do house cleaning. Maybe we look at the cross and say, Lord, I let myself do that again. I like it apparently, and I don't know how to get over it. But it's destructive. I know when I lost my temper at my children. I know when I acted in a violent way towards someone. I know that grieved your heart. And I want to tell you that I'm sorry. Maybe that tone helps us grasp what we're talking about. I want to move on. Number six, and I realize this is a little heavier today, but how many know sometimes you have to dig the dirt a little deeper in our soul? You know, I was raised on a farm, and back then we didn't do no-till agriculture. Every, year, every other year we'd take something called a chisel plow, and we would go and break up the hard pan. It would grow about 18 inches, two feet into the ground, and it would break the compacted ground uh, that tractors had, had done to it so, so the water could go down and the water could come up and the roots could go deeper. Sometimes we need that with God. We need God to till the hard pan of our heart so we're tender towards Him. Amen? Yeah. Let's, let's close here. This is a good one. Humble yourself before the Lord. Here's the other part of the sandwich. And God will lift you up. How many want to be lifted up? Yeah, now this idea of lifted up, it means to be exalted. It means that God's going to put us in a position of privilege and honor when we humble ourselves. That's the words of Jesus in Matthew 23. You exalt yourself, I'll humble you. But if you humble yourself, I'll exalt you. Um, humility is kind of hard for me to figure out. Humility means to realize our need for God. It's to totally depend on Him. I think it's easier for an older person to be humble than a younger person. When I was 30, when I came here at 35, I was probably working 70 hours a week. There wasn't one thing you would ask me to do that I couldn't do. I was just doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. I can't do that at 60. Something happens as we age. As we age... We look at other people that are aging too. Come on now. They can't do their jobs, their own disability, and one day die. Maybe the whole idea of death is God's way of saying, you can't live without me. So why not submit to me now and yield yourself totally to me? This is humility. To realize our, our, our need for God and totally depend on Him. Humble people realize that they're helpless without God. A humble person takes a deep breath and says, Thank you, Lord, for the oxygen in the air. A proud person just keeps on breathing. A humble person looks at the plate of food and bows their head, not because the FDA didn't make it safe, but they thank God they have food to eat when much of the world is starving. Are, are you with me today? Yeah. Uh, humble is a command. He just said, humble yourself. How do you do it? 
Have you seen, did you see the movie uh, called The Terminal? It's with Tom Hanks. It was a great movie. I didn't know any problems. Anybody could watch it. Well, to me, the most powerful scene in that movie, The Terminal, there's a, there's a man from Russia, and uh, he can't speak English, but he's gone to Canada to get medicine for his dying daddy, heart medicine. And he's got these four big bottles of pills, and the uh, customs have caught him. And the rules are, if you don't have the doctor's paperwork, you know, you, you lose the pills. Well, it makes it all the way to the guy that was running the airport. And the running guy, and he could tell that he's the boss. And he's running the airport, and he comes in, and then the guy with the pills, this is what he does. He humbles himself. The word humble means to bring yourself low. It's not just the knees, but it's the heart. And then when the guy started walking away telling him no, He's humbling himself. Now, how do I do that with God? That's the challenge. Again, I couldn't find a commentator that would tell me how, but I've been thinking about this for my own life. And something that I've started, I want to start my day on my knees. I want to humble myself, bring myself low. It doesn't have to be long, but I want to say, Lord, I need you to protect me today. Protect me from coronavirus. Protect my children I need you to provide for me today, Lord. I need you to give me health to finish what I'm going to do. And I trust you'll do it. And then at the end of the day, before I get in bed, last night I was in bed and I had to get out to do this. But I want to get back on my knees. And I want to say thank you for providing for me today. Thank you for protecting me today. Thank you that our church services went so well. I just wonder if that helps us realize the scripture in Acts 17 in Jesus we live and move and have our being. I think so. Come on, give him a hand today. He's, he's worthy, worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand up? We're going to close in prayer. Let me say thanks for coming today. Listen, uh, uh, we're going to have a prayer here, so don't, don't, don't crack a barrel on me just yet, okay? Four, entrance, four exits to leave. You can exit on these front doors. Please wear your mask when you leave and social distance. But I want to encourage everyone to stop by those tables under the drive through All the small groups, the life group leaders, uh, there's literature and stuff out there. It's a way where you can make friends. Some of them are doing it by Zoom. Some of it are doing it, you know, just a couple people in the house. And I mean, they've got ways figured out. But this is where you can connect and get involved. Uh, if on your way out, if you want to bring your tithe to the Lord, there's little buckets that are there. If you're a guest, there's an information card in the back of your chair. If you fill that out, there's a table in the lobby. They'll give you a gift and, and they'll tell you a little bit about our church. But uh, I want us to close this way in prayer. Um, I want you to just bow your head just a second and let's, let's just go over those things that we, we, we read about today and ask God to help us. That first one, submitting to God. It's our will. There's a little throne on your heart, whether you can see it or not. There's only one person that could be on it, me or Jesus. Why don't you invite Jesus to sit on the throne of your life? Say, Lord, I want you to be not only Savior, but Lord. Resisting the devil. That's these inner impulses. It's temptation. It's the urges. It's envy. It's lust. Ask God to help you win that battle. That's an enemy. That's a weed you've got to pull up. Coming near to God, 
Maybe you need to renew your commitment. Listen, if you're watching online, let me encourage you. Stand up, get on your knees, join in this prayer. Coming near to God. Affirming today that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a daily appointment with God. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. Before I turn the TV on, I'm going to have a little worship musical. Cleansing our sin. This is washing our hands from evil acts. It's washing our eyes from evil acts. Washing our ears from things we shouldn't hear. It's washing our fists from violence. And that troubling one grieving over sin. Just ask the Holy Spirit to help me. Help me realize the dangerous power of sin. And don't let me play with it. Don't let me flirt with it. Break through, Holy Spirit, the hardness of my heart. And lastly, humbling ourselves before the Lord. Maybe you want to start that ritual with me. On your knees in the morning and on your knees at night. Because God, we want relationship with you, but we also want it with people that are important to us. So fix what's broken in us so we can be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team is going to come to the front now, and here's what we do. Uh, we want to make a place for personal prayer. At the end of this next song, everybody's going to start leaving, but if you want somebody to pray with you, I want you to just sit back down where you are. So prayer team, come on up, up front here with me now so you can see. And you just sit down and somebody will come to you and pray with you. But there is one prayer that I think is super important. Maybe you're here today, and, and I'm just going to say it this way for time's sake. You may say, I just need to get right with God. My life with God is not where it needs to be. I'm honest enough to say if I die today, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. But I don't want to leave that way. You may be here today, and, and just when we were talking about sin, just the weight of it just became heavy. Let me tell you good news. Jesus can forgive sin. That's what that cross is about. Jesus died, paid the penalty for our sins, so our sins can be forgiven. But we've got to receive him as our Savior. Maybe you're here today, and when we talked a bit about worldliness and selfish ambition, you've tried to find happiness in that way, and it ain't there. Because as soon as you get that nice new gadget, before you know it, somebody's going to spill ketchup on it. There's a happiness that can come no matter how much money we've got. It's in our relationship with God. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I, I, I need to start or start again my relationship with God. I'm going to ask you to just come to talk to Pastor Cole, one of the finest young ministers I know. And he'll pray with you and he'll give you something that's going to help you on your journey. We'll send you some stuff on your, uh, to your phone that's going to help you, some videos that I've done. We want to help you get right with God and, and grow with God. And that's the way to do it. So when we, you can come up and talk to Cole anytime. You can talk to him during the song or after the song. But you let him pray with you. Go ahead and sing his final song. Pastor Zach, I love you and thank you for coming today. And we'll sing it together. I'm caught up. I'm caught up in your
teams down front if you need prayer for anything at all and I think all the exits are open so feel free to be dismissed at any time and we just pray that you have a blessed day